Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an OU podcast. I am one of your hosts, Peyton Guthrie. Uh, joined today with Brady with the lion's mane of a haircut he has, Trantham, and Matt, never a burden, burden. Uh, but the dog days of summer are here. The temperature continues to hit triple digits. This is the perfect crucible to separate the men from the boys as the OU football team prepares its last season in the Big 12. And speaking of last seasons, the college football era as we've known it for the last 25 years has eclipsed, ushering in a new era of the sport we know and love. But before we jump into all that, special thanks to our sponsors, Vanessa House and Scratch Chicken and Cocktail, and to all of our patrons over on uh, www.patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Uh, join up, join the uh, join the party right before the football season kicks off. You'll get to hear our post-game breakdowns and uh, in-season uh, in film reviews. But let's just get into it. Matt. You just come back from Vegas. You go to Vegas. You watch a soccer match uh, on the pitch, and uh, you destroy the Pac-12 as you leave uh, the desert. Man, how was how was the trip out there? It was good, man. It was eventful. Um, I basically did the Degeneration X to uh, George Klyovkov right in his face while I was out there, so that was good. Um, and it then, was weird he was taking the under on how long will the Pac-12 exist. I didn't. Was, I didn't yeah. see that coming. Yeah, he yeah, shorted yeah. that. Yeah, I know. And did, he withheld uh, that information from me, so that's great. If he took the under, what did Hunter Deckers take? That's what I was telling Peyton right before this, is I, I fully understand the irony in this situation, but as we were leaving our hotel to go to the airport, uh, the Hunter Deckers news broke, and I was feverishly trying to find a sports book that had over-unders so I could take the under <laughs> on Iowa State. I understand the irony of it all. Uh, Hell, they're back up. Place that ticket. Their backup might be better because he right. sucked last year. So. Right. He was bad. But no, man, good. Feeling refreshed, man. Feeling refreshed. Had a nice vacation um, and ready to go, man. Ready to talk some football. Good. You deserved it. Now fucking produce our show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then Brady, man, how's it been going for you this week? I know we've had some uh, stuff going on. Uh, obviously, OU Media Days, in which we didn't get anything posted due to my, my own uh, lack of uh, ability and capacity. But how is the week going on for you, Brady? It's good. Just um, spending time with some familia before all the football craziness starts, I guess. Uh, it wasn't just for that, but now that I think about it, yeah, this will probably be the last time that um, we go to Ardmore, go see my parents in Norman, unless I just see them for lunch randomly. But uh, no, we're just getting ready for the the big time. But I will point out something. Were you trying to hint at something? You said burden, and like my my whiteboard that, the listeners can't see is behind me with all the red thread. So you mentioned burden, which I'm going to 
take that as Luther Burden, who famously decommitted from the University of Oklahoma to stay with his hometown uh, Missouri Tigers. Um, are you hinting at something, Peyton? Are you like what's going on here? I'm not hinting at anything. I don't know anything about uh, recruits who may or may not be wanting to stay in, in their home state. Hopefully, they don't. Uh, and why? Some- why? Why? If you're from Montana family. And, and you're choosing between family. OU and Missouri, where would you go? If you are from Florida and you're choosing between OU and Missouri, where the hell would you go? If you're from the fucking moon, where would you go? Don't go to Missouri. Like, just seriously, is this silly? This is silly. Anyway, let's get on with the show. Awesome. Uh, so we're going to start off with our uh, OU fall camp. There's been a lot of stuff in college football that's been going on this past uh, week, but we're going to start off uh, locally and then jump into the national stuff uh, later. Uh, but locally, OU football has uh, spring uh, fall camp, not spring camp, they've sprung into the fall camp, uh, has kicked off. And we're just going to kind of chit-chat a little bit around uh, fall camp, what we expect, and some things that are really kind of uh, keeping our eye on. Uh, Brady, I know you're a little bit more charged up there. You wanted to switch the order around. What are some uh, the some fall camp storylines that I mean you're keeping a track on things that you're going to be kind of mentally dog earing for maybe like future articles and stuff like that that are coming out of this fall camp? Well, I mean, I think we've already had two members of the of the beat write about Connor Near. Um, I think George Stoyer from Scoop, and I just saw Hoover posted a story. I haven't uh, been able to read uh, Hoover's, but I kind of get the gist of what Stoyer was kind of coming from, uh, mainly just talking about from. Brent Venables always bringing up Connor near and, you know, I get it. Like as a, as an X-Men media, all you can really go when you're talking on podcasts, on the radio, on TV, whatever it may be, all you can really go off is what the players and the coaches tell you. And if they're all telling you that Gavin Freeman's the best receiver on the team, you have to relay that information. Like until proven otherwise, you relay that information. And Brent Venables talking about Connor near like every other five, you know, questions, as it concerns the defense, as it concerns the linebackers, it just kind of makes you think, is this division two kid going to come in and not just be what we thought, you know, TD roof was going to be last year or just a nice depth piece, nice experienced guy um, could crack the rotation consistently. Um, is it going to be more than that? So um, there's a lot to look forward to. There's um, I mean, there's mainly with my, with me, it's just D line, and secondary. I don't know about you guys because I think the offense will take care of itself. The receiver room is a big question mark, and I'm sure we'll get there. But um, to me, it's just if OU is going to win the games that we think they're going to win this year in terms of the win loss amount, you know, 10, 11 games, um, it's going to be because the secondary room is not just talented on paper and they can overcome some lack of experience with certain players. And the D-line room is as advertised in terms of the guys that OU brought in via the transfer portal are going to do their thing. And some new guys, you know, maybe on the edge, PJ at a barway, um, hopefully can really showcase their stuff day one. If so, I think a lot of things can take care of itself. But that's basically what I'm going to be munching on as we march towards game one through these next three weeks of summer camp news and notes because I don't know about you guys, but I am just completely ignoring anything to do with Jackson Arnold. We will see him when we see him. Okay. Like I'm excited, but what Dylan Gabriel's the quarterback until further notice. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. I think the, maybe the biggest thing uh, before I transition over to Matt and give you, give you some, uh, some, some, some runway for this. I think a thing to, to really look at is the, uh, all the stuff of Gavin Freeman, all that kind of stuff there. And you have to kind of like think, okay, it, is he the best wide receiver walking out of this camp, walking out of this wide receiver room in, in the fall? Maybe he's the best one who's 
shown the most effort every practice, you know, all that type of stuff. Maybe that's what's going. I mean, he is obviously very fast. He is for, he is very, very athletic. He's not like a Drake Stoops type of guy. Not and again, not trying to say Drake Stoops isn't athletic. He's like in the top two percent of the uh, population. It's just he doesn't have that quite top end speed that Gavin seems to have, uh, oddly enough. I think that's probably something that if you're a media member, the, the BS meter may need to be a little higher. Uh, but again, you're not seeing stuff. You don't know what's going on, but that's something that I'm trying to keep track on is that wide receiver room. But man, what, what are you looking at from the, um, from the fall camp stuff, things that you're wanting to hear and wanting to see uh, from this team? Yeah, I think Brady kind of mentioned a little bit uh, about it too. The defensive line and secondary to me, I mean, uh, with the defensive line, you heard, you're hearing a lot about Dejon Terry from, from Tennessee. And I was listening to Todd Bates's uh, interview session that they had uh, at media days. And I mean, it sounds like he's doing everything that you would want a guy, a, a transfer to come in and do. He knows he's behind on knowing the playbook. And Todd Bates was basically like, he lives up here, lives in the study room, like lives in the, the facilities, lives like trying to like know the playbook. Like he's trying to get up to speed and uh, do all that stuff. And with a guy, his size, man, that's played at a lot of college football that, I mean, that just, that sounds good to me. I, I know I'm, I've been very outspoken. I don't know what the interior of that defensive, uh, that defensive line is going to look like, but um, I feel like a guy with Dejan Terry's size and his experience, uh, I feel like that will do a lot of good if he can get up to speed and uh, get ready for the season. Um, and then secondary too. I, I have been very vocal about this. I, I think it's going to be very tough to keep Peyton Bowen off the field. If he is like, what he's advertised to be. I know like the small sample size we saw of him in the spring game, got everybody excited, but still, if he's everything he's advertised to be and everything that these coaches say, whenever they're talking about him, I mean, I, I don't know how you keep him off the field. So like that, the like five guys that Brent named at the cheetah spot too. like, I, I was on with, with Ryan Chapman last week and we basically dubbed Justin Harrington Schrodinger's cheetah. Like, you don't know, like, you just keep hearing about Justin Harrington, hearing about him, hearing about him, and then you never see him, though. You, like, never see him. Even, like, with the last coaching staff, it was like, oh, Justin Harrington, Justin Harrington, and then you just you just don't see him. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah, defensive line, especially the interior of that defensive line and, and secondary for me. So, like, my real answer there is uh, both of you seem to have – I mean, obviously not seem to have – you're talking about the defensive line stuff. I think the defensive line – has been figured out. I mean, to be honest, so this isn't last year's defensive line. Downs and won't. I mean, I still, I'm starting to have a harder time seeing Downs starting. He's to me, in my at this point in time, he's going to be a rotational player uh, for the University of Oklahoma, even though he's uh, OU's only Big uh, Big Twelve preseason All American or whatever All Conference player. Uh, Sony Somerset, he's a, a Cherokee uh, tribal member, uh, uh, so not chalked off. You're chalked off. Be pulling a lot harder for him. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I just don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to have, you're going to have guys who set a ceiling last year, uh, who now are setting the floor this year on the defensive line. And I think that's, I think that's just been solved. I mean, if you look at Sears, you look at uh, Terry, those guys coming in, uh, Kelly, uh, Grayson, everyone's got another year in their belt in this weight and strength and conditioning program. I kind of think it will be somewhat fixed. Now that said, PJ and uh, RMT need to figure out how to bend the edge 
Uh, that's to me, it's the only issue at that point in time. I think OU has enough big bodies now to be able to withstand, you know, some of these rushing attacks. The issue just becomes, you know, can they get to the quarterback and cause that pressure to uh, move stuff along? Uh, but I, I generally think, you know, that's why obviously why you brought in Trace Ford and all that type of stuff. I think, you, I think OU is in a really, really good place um, for the defensive line. Uh, the only thing that is, is interesting. So, I mean, interesting, very, very interesting to me. And probably because it can't be uh, brought up and it can't be mentioned and it will never be mentioned until next year is that if we keep hearing words that Jackson Arnold just is that dude, he is the five-star recruit. He is playing, he is practicing up to a level in which you would expect a five-star player at quarterback at the university of Oklahoma to perform at. Then you start seeing number one overall draft pick stuff in your head <laughs> because that's what that means. You know, Oklahoma university of Oklahoma knows what that means. Now that's, you know, obviously casting somebody's future and career three years down the line before they've even taken a snap in a, a major college football program. But the more you hear that stuff, the more it becomes an interesting question, which will never be answered of, do you go ahead and roll them out? Because SEC rolls around and that's starting next year. <laughs> uh, I think that's something I'll keep an eye on to see. And also just seeing um, how he does play, because I believe he will get snaps in games. I think he they, they will roll him out there because – I think Levy and Brent would be borderline idiotic if they didn't give him real-time snaps because you're going into a much bigger, much more talented league in 2024, and it wouldn't make any sense whatsoever, in my opinion, just to say you're sitting down completely. He needs, in my opinion, needs to feel the heat and needs to you know, hear some bullets whizzing past him. Uh, Brady, do you think I'm just like completely off the off the mark there, or is he just in your mind? Is he just sit down, hold the clipboard uh, until well, DJ maybe gets hurt? I'll ask you, and, I, and I'm not picking on you because this is something that's kind of thought about by every OU fan with an opinion. Is you know you put Jackson Arnold out there, um, and not just in garbage time because you need to get him ready for QB one next season. That makes sense, but Jim would just be, what does that look like? Because it if he's a guy like Blake Bell, that make you, you can visibly see like in your mind, like okay, there is a package for that. What do you do? Because you're already you're already messing with a quarterback in Dylan Gabriel who thrives off of his rhythm and thrives off of momentum. He is a he is a momentum player. If he has a good start, he will generally kind of keep that going as long as it can go. Unfortunately for OU last year, it did not go that far into the second half and competitive depth buzzwords, blah, blah, blah. Um, but if you just, you know, up, go up 14 to nothing and then Jackson Arnold runs out there, what does that do to Dylan Gabriel? Cause if that's, if that's the point, if you are just trying to get him experience, that to me tells me that, well, he's ready. Like he just needs to physically play this team and that team to have them in the back of his mind. If you just throw him out there just to get theoretical experience, I just don't know what that does for Dylan Gabriel. And he he's the quarterback. If OU is going to get to the Big 12 title this year, it's going to be because of Dylan Gabriel. If Jackson Arnold is the quarterback, it probably means that Dylan Gabriel got hurt and Jackson got the job and never gave it up, um, which has happened before with OU football. Or um, it kind of goes to the first scenario that I brought up where you throw him out there, but you throw him out there with the understanding that he's ready and he, time will time will show he runs this offense better than Dylan. I just that's kind of a kind of a PR nightmare and also it can just kind of screw up Dylan in my opinion. But I'm just curious like what does that look like in your mind? I mean, what it looks like in my mind is Jackson's just better. 
<laughs> and if he's just better, you roll him out there. I I, I don't want to act like I'm if Josh. That's the case, and just playing the entire time. Yeah, th- yes, that's the, that's the thing. Yes, if yeah. he's be- if he's better, he needs to be the starter against Arkansas 100%. State and, and screw yeah. and screw all this. But I'm going to I'm going to bet. He looks probably very awesome, especially in comparison to Dylan, when they're running all these essentially seven on seven drills in shorts. I I, I have no doubt that he looks mm-hmm. much better. He looks cooler. He looks more prototypical. All those things. But when you get pads on, you bring contact into the equation, and then you bring an opponent that you're not familiar with, and you bring in ninety thousand people cheering yes for you. But then as you go on the road. All those things. I know how Dylan Gabriel reacts. I know how he acts when there is a crowd and there is an opponent. And I think, oh, you can win and meet their expectations with Dylan Gabriel. I have no idea what Jackson Arnold looks like. I have seen many five-star quarterbacks that I'm sure this time around every cycle looked awesome. And then you throw them out there and then they are just like, oh, this isn't Denton anymore. And I'm not saying that I believe that about Jackson. I'm just all I would just stress to OU fans is just be cautious with the whole, yeah, they'll throw Jackson Arnold out there. It's like, well, if you if he's better, then he should be the starter. If he's not better, then Dylan needs to be the quarterback for as long as that lasts. And that's my soliloquy. Sorry. Yeah, no, I think there is a part of me that is kind of leaning towards the Sooner Scoop. I think Josh and I talked about it all the time with OU in the playoffs, where he would argue, he would argue over and over again, OU does not need to make the playoffs. They're going to lose by 50. And me and as an OU fan, I was like, no, just get in there. I mean, as long as you have a shot, you have a shot, and that's going to help with recruiting because you can say you're a playoff program, all that type of stuff. And lo and behold, uh, turns out making playoffs was the better thing. <laughs> you know, overall, you got better recruits. You had, you had a chance to say all these things. You get, even if you got blown out, you can always say playoff caliber program. I mean, other teams can't say that. And so that, that helps that from that perspective. Uh, I think maybe a month ago, I was 100% in the thing of, I think Jackson, I believe Jackson will have a better overall career with accomplishments. I think he has Arnold. I think he has a chance to be a very special type of player. Even national podcasts like Cover 3 were doing like, what does OU do? And then one of them popped up. It's like, well, if Jackson Arnold starts playing quarterback and they all turn to tune up being like, okay, I could see 11 and one. If he's a real legit five-star quarterback, you know, because they all took the whole, we know who Gabriel is. He's going to give you a solid drum beat, but does that elevate the OU football team? We don't know. It's just unknown. Could it elevate? Not for sure. But maybe about a month ago, I was on, I was 100% entrenched in the, you set him down, he holds a clipboard. Uh, if, Gabriel goes down, you put in Bevel. I mean, even from that perspective, I was like, there's makes no sense. But now this week that's happened, no one's going to remember the year 2024. Uh, I mean, the 2023 football season. It 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 will not exist. And it's just it's just completely overshadowed by what is happening next year. So I now from that perspective, I'm kind of like, well, I, I believe OU is talented enough to win the games on their schedule with either quarterback, to be honest with you, uh, talent-wise. Uh, the only game that will be an issue uh, talent-wise is Texas. Um, if OU is playing the way they should be playing, I don't think it changes much between either quarterback. And in my opinion, if they run, if they have 10 offensive plays, eight of those should be running the fucking football. <laughs> uh, yep. So how much does that change when you've got one quarterback or the other? I'm not entirely for sure. Uh, but yeah, Perfect case scenario, Gabriel plays. He makes the small step he could make, completely taps out his potential. 
and, uh, you know, rise off into the sunset for big 12 championship and potentially a playoff uh, appearance. Who knows? But I mean, Matt, you've, you've got to deal with this stuff. You got to feel airwaves. <laughs> I mean, is the, is the Arnold talk getting, is, is the hum getting louder? The drum beats, are we hearing the drum beats in the deep? Are we digging too deep? Right. No, I, uh, like I said last week, I was, I was on with the great Ryan Chapman. Ryan was, was there at practice basically saying that, yeah, like he looks legit. Like Jackson Arnold looks legit all this stuff. And we, we did get into the, do you bring him in for a series here and there, whatever. And I, I, I was against it uh, to be, to be completely honest. I was like, Hey, if you're handling business, yeah. Fucking if you're playing Tulsa, SMU, Arkansas state, and you're blowing them out at the end. Yeah. Just do it. But I don't want to see him hand the ball off at the end. Right. Cause you're trying to show sportsmanship. No, you're paying those guys a lot of money to come play you. You might as well just fucking beat their ass, right? Well, not, you might as well just let not, them run the stuff. Not Missouri money. I mean, let's get, let's get right. Yeah, let's be honest. Let's be honest. We can't, can't match that. Um, but no, so I, I was against it because one, like Brady was saying, like, what does that tell? What does that tell Dylan Gabriel? Like, Hey, buddy, like you're, you're not good enough or like in that stuff, like we know you're not going to be here. So, you know, just screw you. We're screw you we're, this year. We're, we're kind of punting on this. Like when you shouldn't be, this is the last year in the big 12. Like you have a good chance, good schedule to try to make some noise. And my, the thing I don't always just keep coming back to, I even told, I even just said this a second ago, if the kid's better, he's better and play him, you know, and play him. Yeah. It'll take care of itself. Yeah. It, it, it really will. And, he, and two, we saw a little bit like not to do the whole, like Spencer Rattler, like Caleb Williams comparison in in a weird sense like that. But as far as, it looked different and the players around Caleb looked different whenever Caleb got in rather than when Spencer was in, if that makes sense. So like it, the players knew who was better between Spencer and Caleb, the players knew and the, it, sh- it showed whenever Caleb got in. So that would be my thing. It's just like, it would just be a weird dynamic, you know, like if Brady said like going, going up 14, nothing, and oh, Jackson Arnold comes out in the second quarter for for a series. Like what? I, I didn't I didn't really see what like what good that'll do to either of them, really. Here, let me let me pose you guys a thought experiment. Let's just copy paste the first four games from what you guys can remember onto this season, or or just pretend Jackson Arnold was a true freshman last year. I don't see a point in the UTEP game where Jackson Arnold comes out onto the field because if you guys remember, I mean, I think OU went up 21 or 24 to three and it looked like it was going to be a huge blowout. And then OU needed a few scores at the end because they were up 14 and they scored a few points at the end to make the score look a little bit better. Um, I don't think as the, like for game flow, um, I don't think that there was a point where you could realistically say Jackson Arnold should come out there. Kent state's going to be interesting because if you guys remember that the offense sucked, the entire first half until I think the very end. And then they woke up in the second half and won 30 to three, but there were a lot of um, punts. There were a lot of field goal. I think they might've kicked a field goal or two and missed one. Um, I think there might've been a turnover on downs, but the offense was bad. So if, if there's a situation like that, are you guys saying like put Jackson out there and just let him be QB one for this little scenario. And if the offense wakes up, then all right, he's the quarterback until he makes an 18-year-old mistake, or do you just put him out there to wake the offense up and then put Dylan out there? Like to me, it's it's really it's really interesting to think about, but 
it's just also kind of a funky situation. I don't think you really want to be a part of. The old saying, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. But my, uh, my thing, Peyton, you, you said it just a second ago that this was obviously before the practices, right? Whenever you were saying that Bevel should be second, right? And Arnold should just hold the clipboard. If Dylan, God forbid, Dylan Gabriel gets hurt, and Davis Bevel trots out onto the field, there will be fucking riots. There will be riots in the stands. It will be pandemonium. Whether Jackson Arnold had looked any good in practice or not, there there would be riots in the stadium if Davis Bevel trots, trots onto the field. I think there have been situations where the kid has taken a series of the other backup quarterback to go out there like uh, on a moment at a moment's notice. Maybe because they're just more familiar with the offense, so they can just hand the ball off and then punt, and then the actual kid goes out there. If that be the case, even then, the entire if it's at OU, the entire stadium is yelling Jeff Levy's name. <laughs> the booze will be worse than Baylor twenty fourteen. <laughs> I, I swear. Bless his heart. He's he's dating Alex Taraco though. He's fine. Good for him. Yeah, if you were just like to just copy and paste the, the first four games, I mean one. You couldn't to a certain degree because, I mean, we saw what the staff saw uh, with General Booty and, and Bevel, <laughs> so you couldn't have replaced them. You know what I mean? But like, it would be a tantalizing question, or at least a hypothetical at that point in time, to say, hey, we got this other guy we think maybe, let's say he's 80% Dylan Gabriel on a consistent level, but then there's times where, hey, he could break off an 80-yard run. <laughs> As well. I mean, he's he has... Not maybe the escapability, but he has Caleb-ish, you know, ability to run forward, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. That was part of his game in high school. I mean, he has that ability to unlock something in an offense that Levy wants to have a power runner at his quarterback position. I mean, that's something Gabriel's not able to fully get out, uh, you know, handle. He's going to be more of you know, your zone read, slip, and, you know, pick up 10 yards, get back down the ground. Uh, you know, Dylan's going to be able to run that. I mean, sorry, uh, Jackson Arnold's going to be able to run that in a much different way. Uh but yeah, to me, if it's uh, if you're if OU's three and three after six uh, games like they were last year, uh, Arnold starting the rest of the way. Now that means Brent may not be the coach anymore. <laughs> uh, so I mean that that's the harder part from from that perspective. Uh, the only way it it gets figured out is if one is clear cut just better than the other. And I think probably right now you take the consistency in the leadership of uh, Gabriel. And you just roll with it from that perspective. Uh, it's it's to me the hardest part is knowing in 2024 you're playing Alabama. <laughs> you know you're you're playing these big time pro these big time programs. You're not playing Kansas State getting jacked up. You know to come to Norman or whatever. You're playing multiple programs who have the idea of we are winning the national championship this year, and you're walking out there for a rookie quarterback. Which then makes it to where, okay, our next, our realistic chance of hitting is 25, 26. And I'm getting tired of playing that as an OU fan. I'm getting tired of playing in, you know, like I think it was uh, with Lincoln Riley. It's like year 2021, that's the year we think OU is going to win because everything's going to line up. It's like this is University of Oklahoma. Every single year should be within a realm of possibility that this is a year of winning. I'm just, potentially getting tired as a fan of saying, Oh, in three years, watch out. I mean, that's Oklahoma state thinking. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of getting fed up with being stuck in that, that idea that, that that's all when I when it comes to that type of stuff, it's like, if something can short circuit that 
and it starts becoming, no, this year is our year. Uh, I would rather have that ability <laughs> just as a fan. I think if Brent proves to be the the developer that I think we, I mean, definitely we want him to be. And I think that we all think that he is, I think you'll get away from that. I think a lot of that just at the time, we just didn't know, but I, I think a lot of that just kind of came from these players. A lot of them are just not going to be good their first two years, but just by virtue of being there for a while and just getting stronger, getting more experience that third year of that cycle, that's where it's going to go like get put all together because like 2017 was kind of the same thing. Like in 2015 with Baker, 2017 was supposed to be the year because it was like, Oh, Kyler is going to be the quarterback that year. Cause Baker's going to already be gone. And then Baker got to come back with all that talent. And then it became 21. Like you said, Peyton, but um, I hope that that's not the case, or I hope that is the case that you're wanting because yeah, like, do I do, does that mean, Oh, you should win a national title every year? No, that's, that's crazy. But you should go into every game with the mindset of where are you? Like we do this. We win these, we win, we win big games and we win a lot of them. So it's not a, Oh my God, this was so cool. It's like, that's, that's some prior decade philosophy. Yeah. Oh, you shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be just ha happy to be there. <laughs> you know, that's just shouldn't be the, the case in this. And I think with, especially with the, the way the offensive and defensive line recruiting has gone about, uh, I, I don't think OU is going to be just happy to be anywhere pretty soon. I think they're going to be sitting here to mess stuff up every single season and just have yourself an actual chance. I mean, even when under Bob, you know, the late stage Bob, when he found his fastball and stuff, it was always like, well, if the offensive line can hold up or the defensive line has a couple of bright spots, but, you know, OU was able to kind of supersede some of that stuff of wide receiver play and running back play. I mean, they built themselves like a Texas seven on seven team, you know, and it's like, well, if they can just hold up enough for one game on the trenches, they can win. Uh, Brent is building this team to hold up every game. <laughs> and be the team people say, well, if we can hold up against David Stone and Williams and Nigel Smith Jr. and Jaden Jackson, you know, all, all those types of players, uh, that's, I'm hoping, knocking on every wood I can piece, I can find, uh, is, is where OU is going to be at, you know, uh, fairly, fairly soon. Uh, I, I guess that's our general thoughts and uh, desires on fall camp. Did we miss anything? Maybe you want to chit-chat, Brady? I do, I do want to ask you guys one question. I've I've been trying to find a player of a uh, similar size to one Gavin Freeman, just to give some perspective. Because I, I mean, when people say, when the coaches and players are saying he's been the best receiver in fall camp or spring camp or whatever the summer, I'm I'm not picturing him being like CD Lamb all of a sudden, where he's like running all the CD Lamb routes and making all the big big boy catches and scoring three touchdowns against Texas. He's a very good utility player. They used him as a utility player last year. He can make a lot of stuff happen in this offense, but I just don't know what they actually are talking about when they're saying he's the best receiver. So I'll ask you guys this. Um, in terms of Gavin Freeman's size, what he's 5'8", 178, I think is what he's listed at on um, uh, Soonersports.com. The only other offensive player... And recently, I didn't go back to the 80s or anything like that, but the only offensive player recently, I'm going to let you guys see if you guys can guess this one, um, that made an impact. He is a name that you would know. <laughs> he was five foot seven and weighed 168 pounds. I think I have a guess. 
I did. This is not the player I thought it was because I have another <laughs> player who I think could okay. be much more like him. <laughs> okay. Well, Peyton, what, what, who are your two players? And then I, I won't say anything and I'll let Matt go. Well, I just, just the one because I thought you were leading up this entire way as like wide receiver, 5'9, 174. It, offensive and I was player. Like, off, but I went for wide receiver. Wide receiver, 5'9, 174. Currently, Freeman, according to OU, OU football, is. 5'8", 173. So basically the exact same player. Uh, I really <laughs> thought you're going to I really thought you're going to say Tavon Austin, uh, who's the exact literally the exact same size basically as Gavin Freeman. <laughs> oh, oh, you player though. Oh, you offensive player. Not Oh, you offensive not a, player. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then I, have, I my brain my brain is completely is knocked the, out. Uh, <laughs> uh are, are you going to say Roy Finch? It is Roy Finch. Good <laughs> yeah, job. Oh, Roy Finch. Man. So oh, as, man. as as long as Gavin Freeman can pass block and i mean kale gunny's not on the staff anymore so he can't piss kale off so i guess gavin's gonna like really kick ass because every time roy was out there it was fun but i think roy is also in some either in jail or in legal trouble for domestic abuse so uh, uh him as a football player do you fun to watch as a person i you know i'll plead the fifth yeah as a person plead the fifth but as a football player in 2011 when he was out there running the ball uh when they had the diamond formation and everything oh that was that was beautiful college oh, football. Oh, when, when Kevin Wilson picked up the diamond like in the second half of 2010, that was, I thought this was like the dawn of a new offensive era. He was like, is the diamond going to be like the modern day wishbone? Am I watching it like begin right now? And then it did. Uh... Yeah, it worked for like four games and then everyone stopped using it except for uh, Oklahoma State. <laughs> and yeah, Hypel, they don't use it anymore either. Hypel liked the pistol in 2011, 2012. Bless his heart. We love him. We love you, Josh. Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch concoction home to sit on your lounge and continue listening to this episode. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Great food, drinks, and atmosphere. Man, Roy Finch, blast from the past. Uh, Peyton, let's talk about the thing that you like. Let's do it. Let's let's talk about the uh, nationally impactful thing, the thing you have already uh, already listened to across the board from every other cultural pro, uh, podcast. Uh, we just record on Sunday, so we don't do emergency podcasts. Uh Poor Jed is dead. Uh, college football, as we know, it's over. <laughs> Something else is replacing it in 2024. Uh, the Pac-12, a conference of 100 years plus, has uh, crumbled under the uh, weight of college football media deals. Um, the Big 12, the team everyone was uh, very happy to see die just last year, is the one that's stepping out and potentially will be the third league, because uh, I don't see the ACC surviving with Florida State actively saying we're trying to get investor money to leave this conference. <laughs> uh, so that means the, uh, the Big 12 figured it out. Uh, congratulations on them. Uh, I, I guess I kind of want to start there. I mean, Matt, I'm just thinking from a, from a media presence in the Oklahoma City market. Oklahoma State has some media presence there. I mean, you guys have you guys talk about them. I know it's, it's OU 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and you talk about Oklahoma State at that point in time. Uh, but Oklahoma State now it looked like Oklahoma state was going to be like playing, you know, Houston and, you know, all, all these like city conference city colleges. But now you get to say 
hey, just up north, Colorado's rolling in, Arizona's rolling in, Arizona State, Utah. I mean, not your top, top tier. Um, I think Solid Verbal said it best. You're going to a steakhouse with great sides. They just don't have any steak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, fr- from that perspective, how do you how do you grade the big the Big Twelve? You know, your Mac being able to cobble this together and basically, I mean, it's not the same Big Twelve. Obviously, all the headliners are gone, but it's not bad. Right? It's not no, great. I, I, I <laughs> it's not bad. The, I said this from the jump, man. Like. Shout out to Brett Yormark, because I think he's come in and done basically everything that he can do. And now it's it's easy to say, too, he's been proactive rather than reactive. And it's easy to look at uh, the commissioner before him and be like, oh, yeah, that guy didn't do shit yeah, compared to what Brett Yormark has done. Brett Yormark has come in. Uh, he got, what, some of the best group of five schools to come in. He got Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah to come in. Like he's, it feels like he's found his niche a little bit and like, okay, we're not going to, this is, this is smart too, right? He's like, we're not going to be able to compete with the SEC or big 10, like hand up. They're not going to be able to compete with, compete with those guys, but I think we can be better placed than the ACC who is pissed off at each other and wants to leave. And the PAC 12 who just lost the LA market and, Oh, Oregon and Washington. It was just a matter of time for them. Um, he's kind of, he's kind of doubled down on basketball that dude, you thought the, the big 12 basketball has been a gauntlet for the last decade, dude, with these new teams coming in with Arizona, Houston, like all these teams coming in, that's going to be even more of a gauntlet, uh, in basketball. Now I get, I get that basketball is not the moneymaker that football is and it, and it won't ever be, but it's second, right? It's second behind it. So he's, he's at least doubled down on that. And then to me, it's going to be a fun league to watch in football because yeah, you don't have OU in Texas anymore. You don't have the the headliners, but you're going to go into every single college football season being like, man, I don't know who's going to be favored to win this year. Right. When every year it's uh, OU or Texas are going to be favored to win. And you know, that's it. Where, and then go, I mean, go down the line, two of different conferences. The ACC is, oh, it's Clemson or sometimes Florida State. They're probably going to win. Uh, SEC, it's us, oh, Georgia, Bama. And then those couple years where LSU is going to be really good. Like, that's really it. The Pac-12, it's like, oh, USC, you know, Utah recently. Like, they're going to be favored to win. So, But the Big 12, man, and like the Big 12, you genuinely don't know who's going to be favored. So I think it's going to be like the uh, – not parody conference, the parity conference. Like it's going to be, uh, have a ton of parody uh, and it'll be fun. I mean, I'll, I'll still watch it. Like for sure. I'm not going to have like, obviously a, a huge yeah, rooting what else interest. What doing on a Thursday night? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Not much. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it'll still be fun and shout out to Brett Yormark. He didn't go to try to match the SEC or big 10. Cause he knew that would just be a failed mission before it even started. Uh, but he looks w- way, way better than, Obviously, the Pack Four now and the ACC, who are all pissed off and want to leave. I think the most interesting thing to me is that the Big Twelve can now be a very interesting test case on do college football fans actually want this? You know, because for a long time, you know, it's it's been very complaining. Oh, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and insert two other teams, Clemson. They're just winning all the football games and they're getting all the talent and it's no fun. It's not fun when you know, you know, all this stuff, even though 
you know, NBA basketball ratings were the best when the Lakers and Celtics were the top two teams or when the Chicago Bulls were the top teams or when Golden, you know, it's so on and so forth. People, you need to have a leading team to, to pull everyone else along. But the Big 12 now, like you said, it's going to be a cage fight every single season. You don't know who's going to come out of it. Will that actually work? Will that model actually work is what we're going to find out. Now, in NFL, 1 million percent it works out, obviously. The thing prints money. You know, I think uh, its its media deal is 10 to 15 times larger than the deal the uh, Big Ten has. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it's that, that's what it is from that perspective. It's just such, such a larger entity. But I don't think college football works that way, or, or at least from, from my perspective of college football. When OU loses two games, man, my fandom starts coming a little more casual uh, and also a little more angry, uh, but I can't expect to see what it would be like if it's, you know, at Oklahoma State, you're six and six one year, then 10 and two the other, which I guess is maybe what they always do. But uh, Brady, from a historical perspective, you know, college football has always been ruled from the top down. Do you think trying to approach a model where things are fluid, and I think the SEC and Big Ten will be fluid because you have all the big teams playing each other, so they will beat each other. So teams will lose more than they're used to losing some years and win more than they're used to in other years. Do you think this model that we're walking into is actually going to be good for for the historical nature of fan engagement? Maybe we'll just say that. I think the, I think the fans of the programs that win championships, that expect to win championships in a realistic fashion, um, year to year, I think they're going to be fine with adapting to whatever because that's what they've had to do. Um, the rules of the game have changed. The way that it's officiated has been changed. The uh, administration of it has changed. Watching it, consuming it has changed in a lot of our parents' lifetime, grandparents' lifetimes, and they continue to watch it because that's what they enjoy. Basically, like the Big 12 level of college football fan, like that's going to be the question. Um, because, I mean, I've kind of said a few times where the the weird thing as we go along is once you get into a deeper playoff pool, for me, it's just going to be odd to like look at season by season breakdowns. And when you can kind of pinpoint, oh, that must have been a good year because they went 11 and one in ni- 1978 or what happened. And, um, oh, that that was bad because they went eight and five. Like what happened that year? Um, it's going to be completely different now because I guess you could have like an eight or nine win team go into the playoff because they're in the SEC and they beat X, Y, and Z and didn't lose to, you know, Y or, you know, I don't know the alphabet guys, um, but you get into the playoff and then you just get hot and you got the best quarterback in the country or something like that and you win and then you win the national title as a 14 and or 13 and three college football team. So kind of the bench are going to change look a little odd if you compare it to the first 100 years of your program's history, I guess. But um, I think the fans of the good programs will adapt just fine. And I think, I mean, what the ACC's shitty deal with ESPN, that ends in 27 or is it 27 or 25? 2036. 2036. What the fuck? Yeah. 36. Yeah. Now the grant of rights, they can start looking at that like in 2031, 2032. That's just like Florida State would have to potentially pay $300 million to get out of it. It's like telling a dude on a submarine, now you can look at a Playboy now. There you go. That's it. Um, God. I mean, do we think the dust is going to be finally settled in the next 10 years? 
where every team is going to be in their conference. They're like no more moving around. You, you know, will teams like will a Missouri decide and not to make another Missouri reference, but will a Missouri decide that guys we're not really Southern? Um, we don't we're not really a cultural fit or a regional fit. We belong north in the Big Ten. Like a shifting of a program like that to another conference might be minor i think in the next 10 to 15 years where it like really settles geographically because i think that's probably what's going to happen and then you're going to have a a super league of 30 to 40 teams and then you're going to have to have conferences kind of look at okay do we really want the rutgers and the northwesterns and the vanderbilts uh do we really need these programs anymore because we already have the market kind of cornered at that point, we don't need a school in that place, if that makes sense. Yet, yeah, to me, Missouri and Rutgers, they don't get a decision. They don't I mean they don't have a choice in the decision. I mean, we just we just seen it. Uh, ESPN, Fox, Apple, whoever, they're the ones who make the decision about what happens. That this is the first time it's been just that blatantly clear. You know, if, if you really were to look back at the history of college football, the Pac-12 dissolving and being destroyed is in line with college football history. It's just they finally got got. <laughs> you know, it's always happened. You know, Missouri Valley Conference became the Big Six or something like that, which became the Big Eight, gobbled up somebody else, and then became the Big 12 by killing the Southwest Conference. I mean, things die like that. There's been three that survived. It's the SEC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12. They're the ones who kind of like kept going but everything else been I mean gobbled up the big east used to be a conference <laughs> you know and stuff like that and pac 12 finally got got and the reason why they got got is that the premier teams on that league in those programs didn't care about football I and mean, that's just how it is it just don't they just don't care about it from from the perspective of a midwestern or a southern team that's why all the stuff happens you know <laughs> basically i-35 and east <laughs> that's your championship stuff. That's where people care about football. USC every once in a while, you know, when they get big and pop. Uh, I think the next round becomes Fox and ESPN saying, do we need to really pay those teams? Can we get the SEC to say 16 good teams, the Big Ten, 16 good teams, and uh, we just model, the, model our schedules off the NFL uh, from that perspective. We have two two conferences with four divisions and then they play each other, and that's just that. You have to, de- you know, ESPN. They already own the playoff. It's not NCAA thing. It's not like the basketball tournament. It's not function. It's not ran by the colleges. It's ran by <laughs> ESPN. Uh, I think we're very, very close within the next. I mean, I guess the moment ACC's network deal breaks down, that's when you're going to start seeing a move to a more professionalized, for lack of a better term, uh, college football thing, and. I don't know. College football is supposed to be weird in my mind. It's supposed to be weird. It's supposed to be kooky. It's supposed to be strange. You're supposed to see Appalachian State beat Michigan every once in a while. Uh, you know, that's why it happens. I, I don't know if that's – I think you're going to have NCAA football, and that's going to be your Oklahoma State, and it's going to be your Washington State, stuff like that. And then you're going to have college football presented by whatever, and that will be your Oklahoma versus Alabama. You know, I think that will just be a difference from that perspective. Uh Matt, do you think I'm like super, super far off into the conspiracy no. weeds on that? No, not at all. I don't. I don't. Um, that would be probably college football presented by Live Golf. 
if I had to, <laughs> if I had to take a stab yes, at it. Yes, yes. Um, you know, one thing, I, am I, are we supposed to feel bad for the Pac-12? Because I don't. No, no. I don't at all. Okay, okay. I'm glad you asked that because, because no. No, if sorry. we're not, if we're not supposed to feel bad for the Pac-12, are we supposed to be happy for the Big 12? Is that conference with a thousand teams in it better than the one that it had with ten with OU in Texas? No. Okay, uh, let's let's let us fucking I, stop with this yeah. shit. Like, okay, like, great, yeah, all the the secondary institutions in the Great Plains and beyond can continue playing football and pretending that they matter. No yeah. one cares, man. There's no a couple things. Nobody cares. Nobody there's, cares. There's there's a couple things like I don't feel bad for Pac-12. One because they decided OU, Texas, Texas Tech, and yeah. Oklahoma State they played were not it wrong. worthy. They were not worthy. Right now, I know that's not George Klievkov that did that. That was Larry Scott, right? I believe the guy's name. That was Larry Scott yes. yeah. doing. We would have we would have flunked that that exam to get right. Into that right. Yeah, they right, turned their noses honest. up. They turned the, their noses up to those four because they were not deemed worthy uh, to be in that conference because of academics. Um, and then, but what was George Klievkov? was whenever they made the alliance <laughs> that you yes. guys remember those those good, old, yeah. those good old days yeah. they made the alliance they didn't include the big 12 they didn't include brett Yormark because they were wanting the big 12 to fucking die they were wanting them to die they were like you know uh he was well, like there's... when brett Yormark came in it was like yeah we're we're open for business like we're open for business and george klevkoff was like well we haven't decided if we're gonna go shopping yet uh screw you dude you did not do anything brett yormark kind of took him to the woodshed man uh not really i mean it was really kevin warren who was part of the alliance and was on the zoom call being like yeah no we we just looked at each other uh as gentlemen and uh <laughs> yeah. and, and agreed to this we don't need to sign anything meanwhile kevin warren is birdman hand rubbing over there just like yeah i'm about to take la from you dude <laughs> like i don't know i don't feel any remorse of the pac-12 I think even now, like Klyukov saying that to the Big 12, I think makes sense because that's that's the other direction that institutions, commissioners, whoever it may be, people in charge can make. Like, do you marry yourself to your history? Because it makes sense. The Pac-12 wanting to have a stupid alliance with the Big 10 because there's a historical familiarity with those pro between those institutions and those conferences. That makes sense. OU could have had kind of a similar idea as well at, at that pivotal point, whenever it may have been when they decided to jump to, to the SEC. Somebody in the room could have said, guys, like, I know Iowa State doesn't move the needle. I know Kansas State doesn't move the needle, but we played these guys for 100 years. Like, history is important. Like, this is a blue blood program, so we love history. Are we wanting to walk away from all that? Like, that could have been the case. OU chose to know, let's think about the future and be proactive with it and be smart with it. Does it that doesn't mean that that will work? We have no idea what OU football will look like in the next 50 years. Who knows? I hope that they're good still, but we do not know. At the time, I kind of understood like the alliance between the Pac 12 and the Big Ten because familiarity with them, unfortunately. And the for ACC them, and the ACC was in it, it was everyone but the Big 12. Well, and the SEC because they were mad that OU and Texas went there, they, well, they were just, mad. Yeah, you just look at it from a market standpoint, population standpoint, like guys, like the Big 12 is just. The great, like, just call it the Great Plains Conference. That's what it was, plus West Virginia. It's the Great Plains Conference. Nobody wants to do business with people in the Great Plains. It's flyover country for a reason. Like, and well, all that's this why I think it's funny. It's like we're, we're sitting there saying no one wants to do business with it. They're the ones who came out bloody and broken, and they're going to survive, at least for another X amount of years. And they you know, can that's, think, that's the funny part. <laughs> and they won't, but they can thank OU for that. 
Yeah. Because if, if OU decided to kind of like, no, let's, let's marry ourselves to our history and either die on the Hill or fight the good fight and continue to be good. Um, this would not have happened. Like the big 12 might have in a scramble re-added Colorado. Can you imagine yeah. being in a big 12 and having to be told to be excited that the OU Colorado series has come back? Who the fuck cares? There was one OU Colorado game that I can kind of remember. It, the random. Leslie, I typed your symptoms into the thing up here, and it says you could have network connectivity problems. And Brady's Wi-Fi connector is on the way uh, via Amazon uh, as we <laughs> connected out of them. Uh, I will say, Matt, for your point, um, just because of where we live, I have a lot of friends who are fans of Oklahoma State, of TCU, Same. of you know, and it's like I feel happy for them personally that their college football program won't have to close shop, <laughs> you know? Right. And if I knew a bunch of fans from Washington state, I may be singing a slightly different tune, but to say from your perspective, um, maybe it's just who I am. I am a, whatever Oklahoma is a Southern Midwestern great plains boy. Who's always been somewhat seen as an underdog. Who's stepped up and you know, overachieved what people may have uh, classically said. People like us can do from small towns. Like we're from in Oklahoma. Uh, so it's cool to see the Big 12 be the one who showed enough grit and determination and scrappiness to uh, walk out on the other side. <laughs> uh, I just don't think the Big, you know, the Pac-12 in the ACC, obviously, because they're going to, I mean, it's just a matter of time. They just weren't, they, I don't know, they, they weren't shaped by these hard summers. <laughs> the way right. the Big 12 was. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. Like, I got friends and and family, right? And family that are that are Oklahoma State fans, and you know, I'm I'm glad they, you know, get to keep college football around at least some meaningful college football. Now, my other thing though is with the Pac-12 going to four, obviously, not breaking any news here, not earth shattering. They don't deserve an automatic bid, and once once into the 12 team playoff, the champ does not deserve an automatic bid. So. When that gets brought back up, what incentive do the Big Ten and SEC have to be like, yeah, we should have conference champions get automatic bids? They have zero incentive to do that. Yes. Zero. Because instead of, hey, okay, there's going to be six automatic bids, leaving six for the rest of basically the SEC and Big Ten, when you could have eight from the sec big <laughs> did right you know like I, there's gonna be that's gonna be interesting when that gets brought back to the table uh and you know greg sankey and, and the sec are like mm, you know yeah that was yesterday that was yesterday when we were making <laughs> yeah. those rules this yeah. is today things have changed this is yeah. today. the price has gone up yes <laughs> from that perspective uh I, I don't know. Yeah. And, and then I think the other thing is and some national people have talked about to a certain degree. And I know this this game is of some angst when it comes to uh, Big 12 fans, not not Big 12 fans, but Oklahoma fans. Uh, to me, it is special. Uh, it's like if someone were to say, OK, OU in Texas will now be playing in Cowboy Stadium, not in the Cotton Bowl. I would not like it. I mean, maybe it'd be more comfortable. but I would not like it. It's played in the fair. I, yeah, I want a corn dog. I want a funnel cake. I want to see the giant. Texan caught on fire. I want to see it. And to me, that's just that's part of college football. Uh, but the Rose Bowl is dead, question mark. 
I mean, this just doesn't exist from that perspective anymore. I mean, the two conferences it aligned itself historically. One of them is just gone. Like, what does it what does it do going forward? Uh, I mean, I don't care about these, you know, the CEOs making millions of dollars off the bowl game system. We all know all that stuff's crooked. But I don't know. There's, there's something interesting about the idea of Pasadena and the parade and all that type of stuff, which is part of the pageantry of college football and it's just another piece of it that's uh gone by the wayside now obviously the rose bowl won't get any sort of love because it overplayed its hand multiple times when it came to college football playoffs uh but i think that's some of that stuff is uh it's like uh i want to use my marvel stuff uh the captain america quote i I woke up out of the ice and they told me that we won but they didn't but they never talked about what we lost (laughs) i think maybe in a couple years we'll be looking hey oh you won uh, this time. <laughs> and it's always a this time, which uh, it puts me a little bit of apprehension uh, from that perspective. Uh, I mean, OU is always safe. OU is always going to be safe, just like Alabama, Ohio State. All those teams will always be safe. But I don't know. If you're, if you're a Nebraska fan, how many more times of this cycle do you have to go before you find out you're not on that right side of the ledger anymore? I mean, that that's the stuff where it's it gets potentially interesting from from that perspective. My uh, my my other question to I, I want to get you guys like perspective on it uh, was that I, I can't I can't remember who it was it might have been just some some made up person on Twitter but um, apparently that the ESPN uh, ESPN's mad that they don't have any of the West Coast market anymore and for me they already own the entire region of the country that gives a shit about college football. Yeah, it, they own the the entire south southeast, like sort of Midwest. Like they own all the areas that really really care about college football. So I don't know if they really care about missing out that much on that. When the Big Ten added Rutgers in Maryland, the first thing out of people's mouths was you know TV like that the market. When the Big Ten added USC and UCLA, the first thing out of people's mouth was. Big 10 schools about to raid Southern California high school talent. That's for recruiting. And yes, you get to add the brand that is USC, who whenever they are good, they are really, really awesome. They are a blue blood program, but probably one of the more volatile ones where they are either suck or awesome. So they've been suck for a while. Um, yeah, like you got, you got what you needed. I don't know if like, how many people are watching Oregon? I mean, and we've talked about this before, like, in terms of like, why do some current media members kind of have something against OU football, but they seem to kind of treat similar situations at other schools like in Oregon, like it's no big deal or that they will be fine. And it's just because nobody grew up watching Oregon kick their team's ass. Like, what do people think about Oregon football? Do people watch them? It's like if they're on at 1030. They got cool uniforms, Brady. Yeah, they got cool uniforms. If they're on at 1030 at night, depending on where you live, and you're just kind of like coming down from your drunkenness from the day that was college football, it's like, yeah, it's it's football that's on TV, but they're playing like Arizona State, so who cares? Or they're playing Washington State, so who cares? It's like people only care about Oregon when they're playing a big game against USC, a big game against Utah, or a big game against whoever has been good in the Pac-12, so... I mean, I guess it's good for them that they're going to the Big Ten because we're going to actually see, okay, let's see mm-hmm. how see how good of a program you actually are. Um, like what people are applying to OU of like, I'll oh, see if you like losing all these games all of a sudden, OU. It's because you guys are going to do it a lot. 
which is stupid. Apply that to Oregon because it actually applies to them. Now, I will say, I'll push back on that. Oregon's a national brand. I mean, the Nike and the uniforms, I mean... Nike is a national brand. Oregon is not. Uh, Again, I'll push back. I think Oregon as a football program is a national brand. What it's done on the field hasn't been the reason why it's a national brand. It has been able to capture that via creativity and all that type of other extra stuff. And they also made a national championship, multiple playoffs. I mean, that's part of it. Is Washington a national brand? I think that's a team where it's like, well, no one gives... I mean, who... Who cares about Washington unless you're from the you know Pacific Northwest? I mean, I think Oregon has enough. I mean, I have friends here who live in Durant, oddly enough, who are huge Oregon fans because it, it populated in their head and their zeitgeist the time they peaked when they, when they had Mariota and they were, you know, had all the uniform. All I mean, they grabbed a certain section of the age group of college football fans. And to argue against that would be to argue against fact, in my opinion. But the Huskies is like, who the fuck? Huskies or, you know, the, the Bruins, who the fuck about the Bruins? Who cares? You know, to something like that. Uh, is Oregon on the same level as USC? No, obviously. I'm not going to say they're a blue blood of the pro of the college football, but they have grasped uh, a certain part of, uh, of our college football fandom, in my opinion. Uh, I, I guess we've kind of talked our way around it a whole bunch. Uh, the, 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 the episode this week was about the fall camp and about the craziness of college football. Uh, we've had some internet connectivity on, on Brady's side. He's uh, in and out, but uh, trust us, guys. He's always in when it comes to college football and comes to OU football. Uh, I want to say thank you one more time to Vanessa House Brewery over in Oklahoma City and Automobile Alley. Uh, obviously, to Scratch Kitchen Kitchen and Cocktails in Norman. Make sure you go to the Norman stuff. If you see Brady Sexton, say hi from the Keyhole Group. And then also, if you enjoyed this uh, rambunctious uh, trio, which is usually a quartet uh, from us, please subscribe to our Patreon over on patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Uh, I will be speaking with a contributor to the 5-4 podcast, which is a podcast about how shitty the Supreme Court is, to discuss the 1984 uh, NCAA versus the Board of Regents of Oklahoma University, uh, University of Oklahoma, and basically the domino that took us to where we are today. I just want to talk about how that court, how that case was seen in the Supreme Court and all that type of stuff. So someone really smart about the law is going to explain to me how that worked <laughs> beyond just like when college football writers talk about it. Uh, and we have a bunch of other stuff coming down the line. So for Matt, for Brady, for Alan, who isn't here with us this week, uh, thank you guys so much. We appreciate it. Continued support. Keep listening. Like, subscribe. Give us five stars. Give us everything you can. We appreciate it greatly. Matt, take us out of here. Boomer. Sorry.